Welcome to the Next 100 podcast. On today's episode, we'll be bringing you two key perspectives on the evolution of diabetes innovation and research. Our first guest is David Timms, an 81-year-old former broadcaster who's been living with diabetes for 67 years. He was the first person with insulin-dependent type 1 diabetes to get a recreational pilot's license in Canada. Also joining us is Dr. Margaret Lawson. She's a pediatric endocrinologist at the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. She's a senior investigator at the CHEO Research Institute and professor of pediatrics at the University of Ottawa. She has insisted that I call her by her first name, Margaret, so I'll do my best to comply, although my respect for Dr. Lawson uh, is a great one. So welcome to you both, uh, and uh, I'd like to start um, with uh, a question for David, if that's all right. Um, David, um, diabetes care has come a long way since the discovery of insulin, I'm curious, though, being a broadcaster all of these years in your career, uh, what was it like doing your job while constantly having to manage your diabetes? That must have been complicated. When I was 25 years of age, I was doing an all-night radio broadcast on CHNS in Halifax, where I was answering the phone, doing the newscast, playing the DJ, and... Uh, I had no problem with that because I had set forth in my life early on in my diabetes that I would look after things, I would count my calories because that's what we counted at the beginning instead of carbs, and it worked out fine for me. I come from a very dysfunctional family. Now, by saying that, I have to admit that in the 1930s, my grandmother, whom I never knew, of course, died as a result of being diagnosed as a diabetic, that's, in, that's generation number one. My mother, at a later date in her life, developed diabetes. That's generation two. Generation three is when I developed diabetes, and I'm going to go to generation four, which is my son, who is also an insulin-dependent diabetic and thankfully, he's on the Medtronic pump. So that's the dysfunctionality of my family. And what really I am concerned about, Neil, is where are we going from here? We seem to have the ingredients put together for mechanical looking after diabetes, but we're never reaching that one thing which I've been hearing ever since I became a diabetic, that there's going to be a cure. So that's my big question, is when do we get a cure instead of a treatment? Margaret, as a pediatric endocrinologist, can you speak more about the experience of type 1 diabetic children and their parents, and, and perhaps also address the question raised by Dave about, about the cure, like how close are we to the cure? It is. It's there have been remarkable changes, and it seemed fast initially, but in hindsight, it was pretty slow then. And now it is increasing at an exponential rate. Um, when I started at, at Chio in 1995, kids were on twice daily injections. They were doing finger pokes by meter or taking strips because they were cheap and they could cut them in half. And it was a big argument, discussion for many months whether it was fair to ask children to, and parents to check their blood sugars four times per day. 
No, two has seemed to be enough and no more than that. Well, that changed quickly. And then it's changed from twice daily to three times daily. And then long discussion again, do we go to multiple daily injections for all youth uh, or not? We, again, that took a long time for our team to agree that this was, that youth could handle, their parents could handle it, even if their children are in school, they died, tiny kids do not the diagnosis. And what paralleled this was the changes in insulin. A remarkable change in insulin, been the same insulin forever, it seemed. Analogs came in and fast-acting insulin, and then, then um, ultra-fast-acting insulin most recently, and then long-acting basal insulins, which changed dramatically. Now we have multiple options for that. Which so, so together, those make multiple daily injections so much more effective than they ever could be in the past. Better in terms of glycemic control, but also in terms of quality of life for the because it, it's just not as many highs and lows. So that's one thing. And it's not what David really wants to hear. I mean, he does want in terms of medicine, not just technology. Um, I'm big on the technology side because that's what I've seen has made the real real progress. And for me, it, you know, I was trained um, in my fellowship in, in Toronto. I was told that kids and pumps never mix. No, they don't go together at all. And then in 97, I saw a child who was really struggling and, and they tried everything and couldn't get anything. They want the, This was a case where the youth... The parents did their own research and asked, traveled to Ottawa, started on a pump, and never looked back. It, it, it changed all the highs of the, and the lows, the DKA and hyperglycemia, severe hypos for that kid. Two years later, same thing. Another child a year later who was then geo. And then we realized, why are we not opening this up to everybody? And so we opened it up to anyone who is willing to able to do what's required to make it safe and effective. So fast forward to 2021, and you've got that's 45 years since the first insulin pump. And it has taken over what the, op- what the opportunities are. Um, the pumps that are literally just different bells and whistles, but now they have so much many features which make it safer, easier to use, in terms of it, not, less of a burden for people. Yeah, David, I was going to try uh, and, and at the end of this to kind of address your question as well from the standpoint of uh, a biomedical manufacturer. And, and that is to say that... Um, and, and I understand, uh, you know, your desire for uh, a magical cure, and, and it may be possible someday, uh, but what we're pursuing is what we would call a biomedical cure, uh, which, which is uh, to the integration of sensor technology uh, with, with the delivery technology that, that uh, will, will continually be miniaturized, and the sophistication will be very personalized to the patient uh, using artificial intelligence, uh, it, it anticipates your meals and your exercise and your sleep. Um, and all of these things are possible as part of the biomedical cure. But um, the the cell uh, islet transplant cure, um, as Margaret outlined, is still a ways off. We're, we're, we're looking for a breakthrough that will allow, uh, you know, autologous um, islet cells to survive uh, in, a, in, in your body. And, and frankly, that's not been achieved yet, but many people are working in that direction. Um, you know, so I, I think, you know, in the future, uh, these things may be possible. But in the meantime, we know that, that there's a lot we can still do with the biomedical uh, solution. And uh, so we're, we're on a very aggressive pathway to continually improve and introduce new technologies. And as as Margaret also said, we're not alone. There, there are several uh, manufacturers in the field, and it's it's like the space race. We're all we're all in this to uh, do the best job that we can for 
for, uh, you know, physicians, patients. Now, Margaret, um, you know, when, when we are bringing new technologies to market, um, it's not as straightforward as, as uh, you might think. And in your, in your experience, uh, what's it been like with something complex like a hybrid closed loop integrated continuous glucose monitor and insulin delivery pump? It's been excellent experience, um, but I'm an early adopter. I'm someone who I sort of see, I hear something, I see it, the potential of how it might work. And I think that could really change people's lives and the quality of and the life now and improvement now. So I, I heard about this at conferences and um, Medtronic and other companies have been wonderful in letting us know, informing us of new things in the pipeline, which is important so we know. And my patients, many of my families say, well, what's new in research Where they before they leave the office? They want to know. And so it's really important. What I found has, has worked extremely well is when the companies have provided the information to us, when they've informed at least, um, at least a physician, an educator on the team so we can begin to share the information with the remainder of our team and get them aware too so, so that they could inform their families so that when research projects become available, we are asked by the vendor, by the companies to do them, to, um, to lead them. And um, we have members of our team who want to be involved and families who want to do it. And then we be, we help ad- advance the uh, the learnings. We change things at CHEO, but changes things for centers beyond CHEO. And then we publish it um, much beyond. And so it, it's, a, and one of the key things that the companies do is supporting the educators in that, um, with education, education and the value of ongoing support. That without education, some of these things you could just pick up and, le- and use without any education, but a lot of them, you need education at the beginning and then to be able to continue. And that's been demonstrated through research that without education, you, the adoption of technologies is not likely to be effective. Education and ongoing support. As a global leader in this field, what's the next evolution that you're looking for in the technology uh, versus what you have today? Well, ideally, we'd have a complete closed loop. Um, that would be so everything. So it does everything, things that you outlined earlier. But in, in before that, the hybrid closed loop and the ac- activated hybrid closed loop is really amazing. It's amazing what it does in terms of virtually preventing low blood sugars. Um, normalizing the base, what happens between meals and with the uh, pre, with the um, anticipatory uh, boluses and doing that is what uh, giving those as well. It's um, so that's what's coming already, and also smart connects to smartphones um, really easily. It because um, these shares the information with the caregivers and partners that they know what's going on, and with healthcare professionals as well. So we're providing care in a way which we couldn't have done before. And it's getting better day by day. Every, every clinic, this seems to be more information that's available and more people using this, this equipment, these devices. And most of it is, is CGM, uh, plus and minus pump. But what's really different is that in the early days, there were some families who were really looking for better ways, looking for just better, easier way of managing their child's, child's diabetes. And they were researching it for, the, for themselves and coming to us and then it was a matter we'd saved, and we had a lot of families who just no, didn't want to take a chance. That's changed dramatically. Where families are aware, they are uh, advocating for that. This, whether it be with the insurance companies or with government, uh, whether they are or with us advocating with it for these uh, these devices and technology with the companies, because this is a partnership of everybody. 
It's the it's the it's the companies that make all these devices and insulin and things. It's the healthcare professionals. It's policy advisors and government for funders, it's insurance companies, and it's the individual with type one diabetes in their family. And it's by involving all of them that there will be that, that things have advanced as quickly as they have. And they have advanced. Remark, if you look at it, if you map it out, it's, it's been exponential the last last ten years. What's happening in five years? And and I think um, David is amazingly technology friendly, but not every patient uh, is comfortable with the things that David's comfortable with, and and so I think really optimizing, as you said, what matters to the patient and what benefits the patient the most is is what this is all about. And a big part of the barrier, we've talked about barriers that David, you talking about your barriers, technology, was healthcare professionals. Many of them were really afraid to start to try new things and say, I don't want to do it until it's proven effective and safe. And I heard this repeatedly. No, they would not use pumps. They wouldn't use CGM for years after. And they were afraid of using it. That has come amazingly far in the last two, two, three years. It's just been this explosion of interest and, and acceptance and enthusiasm from healthcare providers and also from families. And a big part of that, the, you know this, Neil, that there's quite a number of people with type 1 who went into this field and joined companies. And so they, all these like Medtronic and Dex companies, they're, they're full of people with type 1 diabetes who have a vested, or the kids of type 1, they have a vested interest for being in that company and for advancing the cure as however it's defined. If it ends up being defined, and no one knows right now where it's, how it's ultimately going to be, but there will be an easier, better way of managing diabetes. It's already better, and it's already easier, much easier than it was even five years ago. So in terms of um, w- food intake, uh, I say the kids, when they're going from injections to a pump, uh, they can give bol- boluses more often without giving the needle. And so kids can get in the habit because they can eat more spontaneous uh, spontaneity, what they when they eat and what they eat, because they can just do the carb count for it and get the bolus accordingly. If you eat more than your body needs, you will gain weight, and that's just you know all of us deal with that way. Any of us eats more than we need, we gain weight. Having said that, the majority of youth on who go on a pump initially lose weight. They lose weight and they get back. They get it to a normal body weight, of which they are very happy, and they're only they're eating like other kids. They are eating like other people, which means weight is not an issue. And, and that's with certainty. And the fact that they can see the blood sugars on the CGM means that they know the effect of the, of the food. So if they don't bolus enough, don't give enough insulin, and they've eaten, they've eaten something different, didn't carb count for, they'll see the blood sugar rise. And that knowledge is so meaningful, it makes a difference in terms of behavior change, which is a key part of, of diabetes. You need to, whether you be on injections or a pump, you need to, as an individual with diabetes, look at what's happening with your body, and then use that information to make changes for the future. And that's the way that people can obtain the quality of life and, and the diabetes control that they need. And, and they want that. But you need to be, to be motivated and be willing to engage in behavior change. And that's a big part of it. You're really motivated. I see many people who are. If you're motivated, whether you be a, you know, no matter what your age, you could be a four-year-old, four you could be a 15-year-old, you could be... 85-year-old, 95-year-old, anything, anything goes, and it really does. And it's, um, it is just, it's wonderful. I know it's not a cure yet, but it will be. And I, you know, in terms of the title for this, Dex 100, it will not be 100 years. 
David, if I could give the last word to you, um, how, how would you feel if you knew that artificial intelligence uh, was was driving the therapy uh, that you're wearing? Um, what would what would your feeling be as a patient about that? How would I feel about it? I would feel it was great, absolutely great, because there is a certain amount of error when I do it myself. Mm-hmm. The human factor is big. The big it, it's one of the barriers to success is the human factor because we're only human. I'd like to thank you both for sharing your stories and insights today. It was an absolute pleasure and honor having you on this podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Neil, thank you. And uh, with all due respect for you, doctor, thank you for helping me over some hurdles. <laughs> You're most welcome. And thank you for sharing your story, your, your family's history of diabetes.